Now, let's get into the word. You know, we've been over the last, this will be the fourth week, talking about the team that Jesus uh, affiliated with. We talked about Peter and how he wrestled with his flesh. And there was always a battle between the flesh and the spirit in the life of Peter. And, and he would be willing to go all the way unto death, even the death of the cross, even though um, he had failed previously. And, and we see how God still didn't change his mind about Peter after his failure. Then we talked about his brother, Andrew. And Andrew was this guy that I really enjoyed preaching about because you know what? In all of scripture, not one single sermon is recorded in scripture that Andrew preached. So he's not that guy. Peter's the guy that preaches the famous sermons. Andrew, his brother, is a guy that just connects people to Jesus. Matter of fact, he connected that famous brother preacher of his. He connected him. He introduced him to Jesus. He also introduced the little boy with the little lunch, you know, the few loaves and the fish during that big uh, message that Jesus preached with over 5,000 men in attendance. He introduced and brought that little boy. He brought the Greeks to Jesus in John chapter 12. He was just that connector. And then we talked about the other set of brothers that were the other fishermen. We started last week talking about James and the transformation of needing passion and zeal, yet it, zeal needs to be accompanied with wisdom. And mercy. And James is this guy that he's a fisherman. He's rough. He's tough. He has a prophetic edge in the way that he speaks. He really takes offense when somebody tries to dishonor the Lord. And we talked about a passage where he said, you know what, Lord, let's just call down fire. Give me permission to call down fire and kill them all. Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody ever drove here in Southwest Florida where you're thinking, you know, it'd be pretty good if I was the only car on the road. You know, God, can I have permission to call down fire from heaven? <laughs> no, maybe that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> but this man doesn't stay that way. He, he starts to change with the power of the transformational power of the gospel and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. This man, by the time he dies, he's the first martyr among the apostles. He's going to be beheaded. There's not going to be an earthquake. Nothing's going to save him. And he, the historians say, not one historian, but two historians say that while they were leading him to the place of execution, one of the guards decided that he would confess his faith. He didn't lead him to the Lord, but he was so moved that this guy was willing to go all the way unto death. He said, I'm a Christian too. And they decide to execute him too. Now, remember this guy that wanted to call fire down from heaven? He's laying down. The historian said they laid the guard down first and then laid uh, James down next to him. And the executioner was going to behead the guard first. And the historians say that this guy that, you know, sometimes would come across as harsh, rolled over until he got right next to him and kissed him on the cheek so he wouldn't have to die alone and allowed them to behead them both at the same time so a man wouldn't have to die alone. That's the power of the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, I want to finish the series talking about John, his brother. And so... Let's pray. And before I pray, I've been giving some shout outs to the different areas of ministry. I talked about the sound youth ministry. I wore their t-shirt. Then I talked about the connect team and how important those people are that walk around in those light blue shirts and those blue lanyards. But today it's team crossover and let's give pastor Matt and all the work that he does there a hand. 
Let's pray. Father, today I thank you for a moment where we get to study your word. I ask for the anointing power of the Holy Spirit to be not only upon me, but to speak through me as I speak the truth of your word. That, Father, that we can learn through the life of John how to love and how to have truth all at the same time. Father, give us wisdom as we unfold your word. Let the the power of the Holy Spirit give us revelation that changes our life. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, okay. So let's do a background check on John. John is going to be the youngest of all the apostles. He's probably going to be, most historians and theologians believe that by the time that he meets Jesus, he is somewhere between the ages of 18 and 22. You know, that late teens, early adulthood, that's John. Now, he's credited with writing five books of the Bible. He's going to write the Gospel of John. He's going to write letters to the churches. They're called epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then I think what is icing on the cake is this man writes the book of Revelation, seeing Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. Can somebody say amen? Here he is. He's, he is the younger brother of James. That means that Scripture tells us that he was an eyewitness of Jesus' crucifixion because Jesus, being on the cross, decides that his mother needs care. And he says to his mother during the crucifixion, look upon John, look at the young man. He's now going to be your son. He is now going to care for you for the rest of your life. And that means that John, being this young man, was going through some struggles because you got to remember, even though he knew Jesus was the Messiah, he was also a friend. He was somebody that he loved. Matter of fact, he gave himself the title of the beloved of the Lord. That simply means that he was telling all of the other apostles. He was saying, Jesus loves you and he loves you a lot, but he loves me the best. Anybody have siblings? Say amen. Do you guys have sibling rivalry at your house? We do at the Pleasants. And I still believe with all of my heart. I mean, my brother and I and my sister and I, you know, my mom has this knack of making you feel like you're her favorite. But I believe if my mom had to write on a piece of paper and never let anybody see it who is her favorite, I believe she would say David. (laughs) That's what it means when John says, I'm the beloved. (laughs) But it also means that he probably was an eyewitness of his own brother's execution. So can you imagine that you've literally seen the Messiah take on the sins of the world and die a death on the cross, a close friend that you loved and it broke your heart to see the, the, uh, the brutality of the execution, but yet you still have to watch your brother go all the way to death. And I ended last week's message by saying this. I said, sometimes you got to find something in your faith you're willing to die for. And sometimes that seems so difficult. And I'm not saying it's any more difficult to die, but I am saying it is equally as difficult to live for him. I'm not minimizing the power of martyrdom. 
I know that's the ultimate sacrifice. But man, can you imagine seeing one of your best friends die and your brother and still be willing to serve the Lord? Still be willing to give your life for something that is so meaningful that you are going to live into your 90s. And you are going to preach the power of the gospel all of your life. You are going to pastor the church in Ephesus. But John, I've got to clear some things up. I want you, has any of you ever seen some, uh, have you ever, anybody ever been to like the museum, like the Met, or you've been in Europe or Italy or somewhere like that where you saw a picture, or you have seen even a reproduction of the Last Supper with the painting of John? Can you say amen? Yeah, don't believe any of it. It's just not true. He is not a weak 80 pound man. He doesn't, he, he's not so, uh, he, he, he is just, he's this weak little like sissy guy leaning over with G, to Jesus with doe eyes. That's not John. If that was him, his brother and his partner fishing, Peter would have killed him. Can you imagine? You want to talk bullying. No, John was a man's man. He was a fisherman, a guy that pulled nets all night long. He was a man that was willing to debate. He wasn't this, this sissy kind of a guy over in the corner going, well, I believe I'm supposed to be in the best seat in heaven. No, he's telling his brothers, you don't belong there. He loves me more than everybody else. That's my chair. And he doesn't always do things right. You ever, you ever went and confessed at something that some, you thought somebody was going to praise you and then they said, oh, that's wrong. <laughs> that's John. John's this guy that goes to Jesus one day and says, hey, I muscled a dude. I got real. You know, again, the 80-pound guy don't go up to a guy casting out a demon and go, by the way, sir, I don't know you, and I don't know if Jesus knows you, but um, please stop. No, he's like, hey, man, I don't know who you are. You ain't running with us, and I don't know if Jesus knows who you are. Stop casting out devils in his name. He goes and tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, I did you a favor today. Some crazy guy out there casting out devils in your name. He said, John, if they're not against us, they're for us. See, he doesn't always hit the mark. He's this guy that is going to be known for two things. He's going to be the apostle associated with love. I'm going to preach a little bit about that. But as much as he was passionate about love, he was passionate about truth. See, he writes the Greek word in the gospel for truth 25 times. He reiterates that in his letters to the church 20 more times as he says the Greek word for truth to individuals and to the church 45 times. That means that you have to have a little bit of both, love and truth. Now, I'm not telling you to be harsh. Don't misunderstand me. Don't take this and just go crazy. But I am going to tell you something we need loving people by not sharing the truth with them is not love at all. Amen. Sometimes you got to be sensitive and wait for the right timing. Some people try to kick down the door and give everybody their wrongs all at one time. Wait for the Holy Spirit to open up the door and then maybe share with them. Because truth or love without truth puts you in position of embarrassment. Anybody ever watched American Idol? 
See, they thought they were doing their family members, you know, a favor by when they hit note Z and they said, oh, that sounds beautiful, like an angelic choir. And then they get on national TV with a microphone and think that they can sing when the truth of it is somebody should have loved them enough to say, hey, you may be good at something else. (laughs) Singing ain't your gig. (laughs) No, they got to get Simon to tell them. And then they think he's mean. And don't even get me started on the sports world of today. You know, when I grew up, our coaches raise their voice at us because they were telling us the truth. You're not getting the skill. We need to work harder, but you're going to get there in the end. No, nowadays, if a coach raises their voice, they go tell their parents and their parents writes the school system. (laughs) Like I said, don't get me started on that, man. Like everybody should get a trophy. No, they shouldn't. That's what got us this entitlement mentality to begin with. Like you deserve something, earn it. Man, I about felt the Holy Spirit right there. <laughs> See, John was telling us about love when he deals with love. He was talking about what is the expectation and the responsibility of a believer with loving their Savior. And he's talking about you got to love him more than you love yourself. I know we're having a marriage conference and you need to come still, but I'm going to give you a a nugget here that is going to solve 75% of all marital problems right now. Love your spouse more than you love yourself. Amen. That'll do it. That's about 75%. You'll learn about the other 25% October the 3rd. But then he didn't stop there. He says, not only should you have responsibility and obligation to to love your savior, but I want you to know he loves you back. He loves his church. He loves his bride. You say, pastor, what do you, I'm not talking about the ooey gooey love that ever, that you just pretend like all of their flaws go away and they don't have bad breath when they're about to kiss you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real love mixed with truth. I'm talking about an example of that love that his love will find you. That's when Juanita Bynum earlier was preaching about his love will find you. It will, it will track you down. It will, over, it will not just overlook where your present condition is, but it will battle that present condition from identifying who you are and say the only thing that can secure your true identity is love of the Father finding its way to the sons and daughters of the King. Amen. You say, Pastor, what about this man that wrote? Yes, he wrote about that kind of love. He wrote about in John chapter four, a love that would go find a woman that had five broken marriages and was shacked up with the one and would go to a place called Samaria where the Jews wouldn't go. And that love would find her and sit on a well and wait on her and then tell her the truth. He would say, hey, let my Jewish lips touch your Samaritan cup. She said, oh, I've got the upper hand. I got the bucket. You need me. He said, no, 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 dear. You don't, I don't need you. <laughs> you need me because your bucket will provide you temporary um, uh, resolution to your flesh's thirst. But I've got, I'm a well of water that will quench the thirsting of your soul to where you never thirst again. And then she still wants to be arrogant. He tells her the truth again. Go get your husband. He said, well, I don't have one. He said, you rightly answered. You've had five. 
count them, one, two, three, four, five, and the guy you're with now, you wouldn't even marry. Woo, that's truth right there. <laughs> it's that type of love because when you hear about that kind of love and you measure yourself because you can find identity in the woman of the well because how many of you are perfect? Say amen. How many of you have failed a time or two or five? Say amen. And so when you know his love will come and get you from the Panama City Beach and you high at the time and his love will pass right through your inebriation and kneel down beside of you and say, hey, I still have your identity. I love you. Let's get up out and dust yourself off. Be somebody. Be who I called you to be. See, John was willing to talk truth and love. He was, he was one to tell you that there is a difference between light versus darkness. I don't know John would have a big church today because we don't want to designate between what's right and wrong anymore. We want everybody to be right. He said, no, there's a light and a darkness. There's a good and an evil. He said, there's a, there's a time, there's life versus death. There's receiving Christ versus rejecting Christ. That makes me want to preach right there. Always ain't going to get you to heaven. Ooh, that's a bumper sticker. That's a lie. All paths don't lead to heaven. There's only one door according to this book right here, and his name is Jesus. Amen. He would tell you about your, the fruit in your life, whether you have it or you don't have it. He would tell you the difference between obedience and disobedience. He would tell you the difference between being for God and being against him. He challenges the church. He writes about a love that is so connected and so responsible that it isn't just between you and God, but it's you and each other. Pastor Matt preaches it like this. There's a vertical way that you love. It's between you and God, God and you. But then there's a way that's horizontal, that's man to man, brother to brother, sister to sister. And do you know what? This is the part nobody likes to hear. This is where the views go down. You know, this whole part of the sermon, my views are way up here. Here's where the views start to go down. Did you know that God in Scripture says it's impossible for you to love him if you don't love one another? Amen. See, we think that somehow or another, God, if we love him enough, he's just going to forget that we don't love each other. But not John. Listen to what John says. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Look at your neighbor. You can't touch them because we're still in COVID, but look at them and tell them. Say, hey, if you don't love me, you don't know God. That's, that's, that's John. Because God is love in this. <laughs> And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if, you are, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then in verse 20, 
he hits it out of the park. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not has he seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loved God must also love his brother. Now, let's just get real. Look at that same neighbor and say, I don't have to like you, but I do have to love you. <laughs> See, you can't, you can't have stuff in your heart. He's saying, I want you to be so transformed by my love that you have people that have did things against you and have offended you, but I want you to step across the aisle of offense and I want you to start loving them like I love you. Because if I was a God that got offended, you would go to hell. But since I'm not a God that takes offense, I will love you through it. Now take that love and love them. Now I'm gonna be honest. This is where it gets real again. I've probably said things over 18 years that's hurt some of your feelings. I'm sorry. I'm human. I ask you to forgive me, and I mean that with all of my heart. I know I've messed up, but I love you. <laughs> I hope I get that same response at this statement. But you've done stuff over 18 years that's hurt my feelings. <laughs> and I still love you. That's what love is all about. It's not finding the first place to exit the highway. It's about that you have every right and reason to leave, but you stay anyway because you're motivated not by my behavior and I'm not motivated by your behavior, but I'm motivated by the relationship that produces the love that reflects the love of God. Can somebody say amen? It's 12.01, I gotta hurry. <laughs> because... <laughs> This dude lives to 90-something years of age. He is now, they've tried to boil him in oil. He won't die. Domination, the Roman emperor, gets so angry that he can't kill him, so he sends him to the Isle of Patmos. He's 90 years old. And if there's ever a dude in the Bible that could say, okay, God, Enough is enough. You know, I was young when I started this thing. I watched you die. I watched my brother die. Then I cared for your mom all her life until she died and went to heaven. Then I pastored the church of Ephesus. Then they tried to boil me in oil. And now they've sent me to a prison island. And now I'm in a cave. I mean, if a dude needs a break, isn't it him? I mean, John, take the weekend off. No, the book of Revelation starts and I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That a man that thought that he was coming to the end of his chapter that would probably stay in the cave and say, God, just take me to heaven for crying out loud. And the Holy Spirit would show up in a cave and show him a Jesus that he didn't even know about yet. That he watched Jesus perform miracles, open blinded eyes, raise the dead. He actually watched him raise from the dead after crucifixion. He saw Jesus as Messiah. Then he got his mom to fill in the blanks with taking care of her. Can you imagine? 
imagine the story she must have told him about Jesus. And then on the Isle of Patmos, he gets an invitation to intimacy that says, hey, he says, I saw a door open up in heaven and I heard a voice cry from behind the door, say, come up here. I've been begging God to come down here, but he gave me an invitation at 90 years old to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to see him in a fresh way. I saw his throne room and I saw lightning and thunder behind his throne, but I saw a sea of glass in the front of it because there's no crisis, no, no trial, no battle, no storm too big to get past the peace of God. Mm, that's good. He said, I saw him. Rainbows were around him. Beasts, created angelic beings were swirling around the throne room of God, declaring his holiness. I saw him walk with one with a vesture dipped in blood and on his thigh and on his vesture were written the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I watched him take the scroll that nobody was worthy to take from the hand of the Father and my judgment was passed from me and now his mercy triumphs over the judgment that belonged to me. That's what John saw. And he says... Uh, you know how sometimes I'll take the spiritual and put it into the practical. The Holy Spirit, I wasn't there so I can use my imagination. I think he said, oh man, pick up a pen. I'm not done with you yet. You take that pen and some paper and you start writing what, I have, what I'm gonna show you to seven churches because you're getting off this island. This ain't the end of you just yet. And at 90 something years of age, he goes and delivers these letters to the seven churches. And David, if you'll get ready to play me some, oh, you're there. <laughs> you're like that guy from Mr. Deeds. <laughs> you just show up. <laughs> I don't even know how I can get that into a sermon, but I did. <laughs> I don't know what happens in here. Play something for me, Dave, so I can try to land this. Let me tell you how he dies. He dies of natural causes. I really need to sit down for this and I'm not allowed to leave the stage, so I'm going to grab this. He's now in his mid to late 90s. He no longer can walk. Matter of fact, he can't even stand. And I don't know if I want to live to that age or not. But if I do, I wouldn't mind doing what he does. His disciples, his fellows, his boys, his team, men that he had mentored, they say, would come to his house and pick him up and carry him to the church at Ephesus. one day you guys may have to carry some of you guys may have to carry me into this place Josh I think you would do that for an old man they said that they would sit him down he no longer can pastor Timothy's probably the pastor by now and they would sit him down and the historian Jerome See, sometimes people that are skeptical of Christianity say, well, you only take one document, the Bible. How about this historian that tells you about John? 
His name is Jerome. And they say that they would put him on, his, on a chair in the middle of the church of Ephesus. And he wrote that the Holy Spirit would come upon him. And as the Holy Spirit would come upon him, he would say these words. Beloved, my, no, he would say, my beloved children love one another. And then he would say, my beloved children love one another. And he said, my beloved children love one another. And finally, some of his disciples got a little nervous about him repeating himself over and over again. And they said, John, we get it. Do you have anything else to say? And he said, my beloved children love one another. And they said, why do you keep telling us the same thing? He said, because if you do it, it's enough. Remember what he wrote in John, first, the epistle? He said, if God is in you, you will love one another. And that if, if he's not in you, you don't have the capabilities of loving one another. And the old man was preaching this message and he was saying, if you love one another, then I know that he loves you and you love him and your eternity is secure. But all the way that the fruit of that relationship is manifested is not just in your horizontal relation or your vertical relationship with him. It's not that you've prayed the prayer. It's do are you horizontally reaching past the frailty of your brothers and sisters humanity and loving them because if you can do that I know he's in you doesn't it sound ironically similar to love God with all of your heart your mind and your soul and love your neighbor as yourself Love doesn't mean I always agree with you. I use this example in the first service and I'm gonna use it with you. I told you about my mom making us all feel the, the most important, the favorite. Let me give my dad a shout out. I remember when I told my dad that I was leaving the denomination that I was three or four generations deep in and that God had a call on my life that was gonna take me to places I didn't even know about and that eventually it would end up partnering me here with First Baptist Church and I wasn't even Baptist and I'm still not Baptist. I love being uh, having a heritage that is associated with being Church of God and Baptist, but it's bigger than that. He didn't understand. He said, David, you're supposed to be an overseer. You're supposed to help us change the denomination. And I said, Dad, that's just not the call that God's got on my... He didn't understand. And then we started this church called Elevation. And Elevation turned into CityGate and our partnership with First Baptist. And I'll never forget, a few months ago, I was fishing with my dad. And he said, son, you were right all along. This is the destiny that God has for you. I've never seen anything like this in my life. But I don't, I'm not just talking about that conversation. I want to go one more deep, one more step deeper. I remember when he came to, you, to me and he was so honest. You know that truth and honesty and love all go together. And he said, son, I'm going to be honest with you. And he wasn't saying this negativity. He was just telling me the truth. He said, I really don't get a lot out of the music at Elevation City Gate. He said, I just grew up different. I like, I like the old stuff. I like the hymns. I don't understand the lights and everything. And I thought that at first I thought, well, maybe he's being a little bit negative. And I said, well, dad, you know, times change. You know, you, you used to be contemporary. Now that's called um, 
traditional. And now I have moved from contemporary to traditional. I am now the old guy in the room. And he said this, and I thought he was just going to stop there. And he said, oh, no, son, you're misunderstanding me. I've got more to say. And I said, okay, what you got, Dad? And I'm thinking, he's about to tell me, well, I don't really get enough out of you preaching. But he didn't say that. <laughs> no. No, that's not what he said. He said, the music makes me uncomfortable. But when I look up on the stage and I see one of my grandsons over here, declaring his love for the Lord. And I see my other grandson in the cage playing for the Lord. And he said, by the time that the music is over and you preach, there's people that come to almost every Sunday to the knowledge of Christ. He said, I'd rather be in a position of being uncomfortable and see my grandkids do what they're doing and see people's lives being changed than them singing my songs. See, that's love when you can when you can love and put aside your comfort for the, for the benefit of somebody else. That's what John was telling us about. I'm gonna pray. Father, here we are trying to do our best to build a culture that loves you with all of our hearts, our minds, and our souls. But God, how we demonstrate that is to love one another and sometimes we don't agree with them. We're in a, an environment right now where politics are tearing churches apart. And God, I know people may think differently than me in this very room, but I love them anyway. There's things that we do differently there are things that I don't understand. There's things that make me uncomfortable. God, I used to remember when I was considered to be the one that was thinking contemporary. But now I've turned into the one that is traditional. But I see the men and women that take this stage almost every single week. And I see their passion for the Lord. I see young men and women preaching from this pulpit that do it better than I do. And I don't feel one ounce of jealousy. I feel the love and the pride in a healthy way that says, oh man, look at the hands of that, that God is placing the kingdom of God in. Look at, look at the hearts and lives of the young men and women that God is instilling a passion for him that will take the church into the next season of life. God, we're all frail in our humanity and we will all let each other down. But in the moments where we let each other down, where we can choose offense or we can choose restoration, let us always choose restoration through love. Give us the benefit to say that we're sorry. Give us the hope to listen when you just need to be heard. And I give you the praise and honor. Would you just stay with your heads bowed and your eyes closed maybe you're here and the love of God has been pursuing you and you thought you had to act perfect for him to love you and I've talked about a love that is goes beyond your behavior that I didn't deserve his love the way that he lavished it upon me my behavior wasn't that good 
but I found that he was bigger than my mistakes, bigger than my sin. And maybe you're here and you need to start a relationship not based out of fear of what God's going to do to you in the sweet by and by, but maybe you need a foundation of just how much he loves you to begin a relationship with him. Judgment is true. There is, that is part of loving and truth. There is a time where judgment is needed. But he's pursued you not with the wrath of judgment, but he's pursued you with his love to this very moment. And he'd like to extend that love into a personal relationship with you. And so if you're here and you don't know Christ as your savior, I'm not trying to sell you get out of hell free cards. I'm trying to say that a man lived into his 90s and gave his life for it and that he loved God and God loved him back in such a way that he is a testimony to all that we believe in. And I stand here loved as well. And I want you to know that God loves you. And if that's you and you want to get saved this morning, saved means that you're more than you're, you're sorry. It means that you're about to take the advantage of the opportunity for the love of God to make you the children of God. And you're going to turn from your ways and pursue him. That's what it means. And if that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? I want to, I want to pray with you individually. Is there any? Would you stand to your feet this morning? Father, today I thank you for your love. I thank you for a love that changes us. It transforms us. It moves us. That I don't have to earn it through my good works. Love produces those works and a passion for who you are. And to expand the power of the kingdom that we've experienced into the lives and hearts of others. Father, we love you with all of our heart and to you we give praise, honor, and glory. But we want to demonstrate that by loving our brothers and sisters right here at City Gate, right here in our community, right here at our workplace, right here in our city. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.